Hello and welcome to Generation Church of Independence, Kentucky with our pastor, David Mills. Like and follow us on Facebook at Generations Church where we live stream every Sunday morning. Now join in with us as we share in God's Word and we hope you enjoy. Good morning, Generations Church. My name is Dave. I'm the pastor here and sorry I can't be with you there in person today. Jody and I are in Oklahoma City. Uh, celebrating with some friends who started a church uh, several years ago in Midtown, Oklahoma City. Uh, they actually came to our church several years ago before they started, and we were able to hear their story and pray over them and encourage them on this journey of starting this new work. And so it's, it's neat to go there now this weekend to be a part of that and celebrate with them what God's doing in their life. Um, I wanted to introduce our speaker to you today, Tim Barber. Many of you uh, know, if you don't, uh, you'll get to know him today and uh, just uh, a great man. Uh, he is an ordained uh, elder as well and also owns the Counseling Alliance and uh, owns his own counseling services. And uh, some of you took our class, our Generation U class in uh, this past August, a marriage class that he taught. And uh, I thought it'd be fitting for him to come and share this week while we're in the Stain and Love series and he graciously agreed to do that. So if you would help me, Welcome uh, Reverend Tim Barber to Generations Church today. We'll see you guys next week. God bless. Oh, thank you so much. It is good to be with you today. A lot of other places you could have been and other things you could have been doing, but you chose to be here today, so I am really glad for that. Um, thing that Dave left out is Peggy and I are Matthew's parents, one of our three children, of whom I, you know, we're all proud of all three of our children and our grandchildren. Um, oh, where do we start? This has been a series, um, Staying in Love. It's a... Um, it's a task, isn't it? It's a challenge. And I don't want to stand before you today and uh, pretend to have all the answers. I am a fellow traveler on this journey along with each and every one of us. Um, <clears throat> but um, I do bring a few years of, of experience as a pastor for about 22 years, been a counselor about 20 years now. And some of those things overlapped a little bit. If you think of those sequentially, I'd be 105. But, <laughs> um, so what I hope to bring today is just some ideas about uh, what it means for us, not just as couples, but for anybody, what it means to be a person of love. Uh, that, that this can impact uh, children. This can impact singles. Uh, we are called by God through Christ uh, to show our love to our world around us. And that is not always an easy thing to do, especially these days with uh, as divided as our country has become over so many different issues uh, to, remain, to remain that person who is a light to the world. And, and um, uh, it's, it's really tough. So uh, we'll start with a passage of Scripture. Proverbs has a lot to say to us 
uh, about what it means to, to live our life as a person of love. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So I kind of focused on that word guard, and uh, I think it's a common word. We understand what it means, but I looked it up. It's a person or persons on sentinel duty, protectors, defenders. Uh, it is the act of protecting or defending. To be on guard means that we are defensively watchful uh, to protect from danger. Uh, and in our passage that we're looking at, we are, we are told to protect or to guard our heart because it's out of the heart that everything else flows in our lives. Uh, and the focus of this task isn't on behavior. It's an interesting thing because, you know, for the last couple of hundred years, our thinking has shifted in the world from being people that were more heart-based and emotionally based to people being focused on the mind and reason. We have to, scientific method, we have to know why these things work. Uh, but what we run the risk of losing in that is what the heart can tell us about how to live our lives and how to be the people uh, that really, you know, God has created us to be. Not that reason isn't important. Obviously, that is too. Um, <clears throat> but if we, if we focus on our heart, then we have that ability to begin to really um, be more intentional about our intentions, be more intentional about our desires, our hopes, our wishes, our dreams, how all those things play together uh, within our relationships and within our place in the world. And when our hearts are right, uh, everything else is going to follow along. Uh, I wasn't looking for it, but I saw a little meme that came across my computer this week. Uh, where the heart goes, the hands will follow. And that's essentially what we're being told there in Proverbs is that if we guard our heart and keep our heart focused on those things that are right and true and holy and pure, then our behavior will follow along and we'll be able to demonstrate that quality of life within the behavior of our lives. Uh, if we shift our focus to anything other than that, anything other than love, anything other than purity, uh, then problems are going to arise. Uh, back in the uh, 19th century, a Danish theologian and uh, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book, it's become a Christian classic, Purity of the Heart is to Will One Thing. And I think there's an element of that that comes th through this, this proverb uh, to be able to focus on that one thing, to keep love and serving God and serving others primary. So here's the key idea that I want to, to focus on. Your ability to stay in love has as much to do with the condition of your heart uh, as it does the behavior of your partner. And that's key. Because so many times we say, I can't be happy because, you fill in the blank. Uh, the way my partner treats me, my partner doesn't do this, or my partner does that. And we become very unhappy and very disconnected and dissatisfied within relationships. But we want to flip that and think differently about that and say, the ability to stay in love has as much to do with what's going on within our own heart 
as it does the behavior of our partner. So uh, another way to say that, what is in you is coming out. So pay attention to what is within our heart. Uh, and that's a challenge. Like I said, none of us do this perfectly, but probably all of us, myself included, could do this better. So let's think a bit this morning about how this plays out in life. And the first thing that I think we just have to realize and have to acknowledge is that staying in love, uh, being in a committed relationship, is actually one of the most difficult, challenging things that any of us will ever undertake in our lives. Uh, relationships are hard. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons why relationships become so difficult, especially marriages. The first is that we tend to lose focus within the marriage, within the relationships. So think back to a time when you first met who has become your spouse. And when you first, when you know, something clicked within your within your mind, hey, this is a person uh, that I like. I want to invest in winning this person's heart. And we work. We work. We talk to them. We share ideas and hopes and dreams with them. We want to know everything about them. We are curious about who they are. And we're moving closer and closer, getting to know one another better and better, until finally that day comes when we take that risk and we say, will you be my life partner? And they say yes, and we arrange the wedding, whether that's a small thing in somebody's living room or the backyard, or whether it's a big elaborate church service, and somebody says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And almost immediately, it's as though we put a check in the box and say, mission accomplished. I wanted this person as my partner and spouse, and I've got them. What's next? Oh, we need to build a home. We need to build a career, establish a career. We need to raise a family. Uh, and so all, almost immediately, in a very subtle way, what happens is winning our partner's heart and, and getting to know them at a deeper level falls to second or third or fourth place in our life. And so... We lose focus on keeping the relationship fresh. Um, there's a second thing that happens, though, that makes relationships very difficult. And that has to do with the way the brain works with regard to learning anything. So if you think about what it is to learn a task, whether that's driving a car, whether that's typing on a keyboard, playing a musical instrument, any of these things, we do these, we practice, practice, practice uh, until we finally develop what we call muscle memory. What's happening there is uh, this fancy high-level functioning neocortex of our brain is putting a lot of energy into mastering this task. Uh, and once it, the brain figures that, hey, we're going to be doing this for a while, it moves all that into what we call procedural memory, uh, muscle memory, another way to think of it. And so now you go out, you get in your car, you put the key in the ignition, you, you know, put your seatbelt on, throw it in gear and take off. You don't have to give that a second thought because it's just natural for us. But what happens in relationships is that 
in the initial stages, we want to know everything about this person. We want to know who they are, where they come from, what they think, what they believe, what they smell like, what they taste like. We want to know everything about this person. Uh, but then after a while, the brain says, oh, this person's going to be around for a while. And it moves this thing of getting to know our partner into procedural memory. And we start making assumptions. And that's where the fun begins. And also the big fights occur. Because we start misinterpreting things. Oh, I know that tone of voice. What tone of voice? Who has, we've heard that, right? Um, or I know that look. We're making assumptions about what all those things mean rather than checking it out to find out what's actually going on. We cease to be curious about our partner. We stop wanting to learn more about our partner. And so it becomes a real challenge to maintain that level of connectedness and that level of interest where I'm always wanting to draw close. We are now beginning to just go through the motions and we drift. Number one cause of divorce in America if I ask you, and we took a poll, probably people would say affairs, infidelity, addictions, uh, money matters, you know, anger issues. We'd probably create quite a list. Number one problem, number one cause of divorce, marital drift, where people just drift further apart. Then you get all those other things that come into play because we don't have that glue that holds us together. So I really think that the answer to both of these problems, the, the loss of focus and the tendency of our brain to automate the process of relationship, the answer to both of these problems is to purposefully turn your heart toward your spouse. Turn your heart toward them daily, moment by moment, throughout, as you go through, the, through your life. Let them become and stay your first priority, not your work, not your hobbies, not even sports in March Madness, uh, but let you, your spouse be your first priority. We've got to be a team. Even around the tough things like parenting, we've got to be a team. And you know, you know that you know, children will sometimes play one parent off the other. No, no. Go to mom. Mom, can I have a cupcake? No, it's too close to dinner time. And so what do they do? They go to dad. Dad, can I have a cupcake? Yeah, sure. You know? And so we have to be a team in the way that we face challenges like parenting, how we manage the pressures of work, money, finances, all those things. Working as a team is a part of being glued together, common purpose. We've got each other's back in all that we do. So, second point here, uh, staying in love means that we focus more on our heart than on our partner's behavior. I said that in our, in our key point. So, here's a little test that I would ask of you. Uh, do not answer out loud, or this will be uh, an unpleasant experience, but think, what is your number one pet peeve that your spouse does? Okay? We've all got a list. Pet peeves, little things, right? That's why we call them pet. They're small. These are not deal breakers. These are not the great big things 
that create the divisions. These are the little irritants that show up in people's lives and relationships. We see it, we have it with coworkers, we have it with family. They're everywhere. But, but what happens is we sometimes let those little pet peeves accumulate and they take on greater importance than what, what they ever should do. So I was uh, watching as a, a, another speaker was talking about marriage and relationships and at one point they were taking questions from the audience and he had the questions written out on little three by five cards and he read a question, said, my husband chews with his mouth open. It's driving me nuts. What can I do? Uh, and he rather forcefully put the card on the table on the, and said, your husband chewing with his mouth open is not your problem. It's his problem. There, and what he went on to say, which I thought was really, really key to this, is that we look at things. You're, obviously, there are some deal breakers, infidelity and those kind of big things. But the little things of life, the differences that we all have, the unique aspects of our personality, that's the price of admission to the relationship. And sometimes we just have to develop some tolerance and patience around those things and love our way through those things and not keep score. And that's a tough one too, not keeping score. So um, it's an old story, but you're familiar with the story of the Velveteen Rabbit? Um, some parents, you know, it's still a popular book that some parents will read to their children. Um, it was actually published, the book was published in um, 1922. So it's almost 100 years old. And I'll just summarize it here. This is the little stuffed rabbit made from velveteen, which is kind of a fake velvet material. It was given as a Christmas present to a, to a small boy. Uh, but the boy was playing with his other toys. He had some mechanical things. This, you know, 1922, there wasn't electronics, but you know, trucks and things that would do something, and they were much more fun than a little stuffed rabbit. Uh, but eventually what happened was that uh, he's having trouble going to sleep one evening, and his nana brought the little stuffed rabbit in, put it in the bed with him. Uh, he went to sleep, and that sort of became the routine. And over time, the little stuffed rabbit became the boy's favorite toy. And he would take it outside in the spring and, and have picnics with it. And he would take it to other places where he would go. And, and um, at one point, at one point the, the little stuffed rabbit was here and some real rabbits came and they were making fun of the stuffed rabbit because he couldn't hop like they did. They could. Uh, he was also starting to show some, some wear. He, was, he had th you know, threadbare places, uh, had buttons for eyes that were kind of hanging and dangling. And uh, so it's kind of going along, still deeply loved and cherished by the little boy. But then the boy got sick, he had scarlet fever. And the doctor said the boy needs to go to the, to the seashore and you know, take in some sun, get some fresh air. You need to clean out his room. Everything needs to go. All the books, all the toys, everything needs to be burned. And so they gathered all this stuff together, put it in a big pile outside. The cold of the night, the little rabbit is out. And thinking about what is about to happen, and a real tear 
begins to trickle down the rabbit's face. The tear falls to the ground. Immediately a flower blooms up out of that, and from that a fairy emerges. And the fairy says to the little velveteen rabbit, because you have been loved and are showing love with the tear, I'm going to make you a real rabbit. And so the fairy makes the toy rabbit a real rabbit. And then he's able to go back and interact with the other real rabbits in the neighborhood. Spring comes, and the rabbit who had been once a toy came back to the yard and found the little boy and the little boy recognized that's my rabbit. One of the points of the story is love makes things real. And it's only when we are able to begin to really love and experience that love. It's not based on performance. It's not based on perfection. It's not based on behavior. It's based on the fact that I am choosing to love this person. That's what makes relationships real. One last point. Staying in love is more about giving love than it is about receiving love. Your ability to feel loved, accepted, respected, cared for, uh, actually has as much to do with the condition of your own heart uh, as it does the behavior of your spouse. Uh, when we give love, we are opening up the possibility of also receiving love. Now let's think about this from the opposite perspective. Have you ever walked into a room and almost immediately walking into that room, you feel the tension? Uh, we, even have a, we even have a saying for that. You say you can cut the tension with a knife. You probably all have heard that. Uh, sometimes we see that in business meetings. Sometimes we see it in other, other kinds of places. Unfortunately, sometimes holiday gatherings are like that when the family and the extended family all get together. Uh, there is a reason why it feels that way. And, and this, isn't, this isn't old New Age thinking. This isn't uh, psychobabble. I'm capable of psychobabble, but I'm trying to keep that out of today. Um, this is science, folks. This is actual science. You see, if, uh, if I go to my doctor and they, they hook me up and they measure the electrical signals of my brain, it's an EEG. Uh, if the, I go to my cardiologist and he gives me a, an EKG, then he's measuring the electrical signals that flow from my heart. What we know now is that the heart actually emits a larger, stronger signal, electrical signal, than does the brain. And with sensitive equipment, that can be measured three to five feet away from us. So when we are with another person, our heart is emitting a signal that gives off clues as to what I'm feeling. Then you multiply that with nonverbal communication, the look on a person's face, the tone of their voice, and you are, you're going to either pick up on this is safe, this is good, this is tender, this is loving, or something much more negative. It's science. 
It's right there before us all the time. Um, and the re- but the reality that we need to remember and remind ourselves of is that choosing to love is the key to this whole process. A uh, book, I haven't read it, honestly, I haven't read it, but there's a book written several years ago. I love the title. Love is a choice. It is. They came up with another book after that, Happiness is a Choice. Uh, and I think they're true, right, in the, in, the, in the concept of the titles of both those books, making the choice to love, committing ourselves to love. When I choose to love someone, um, to see them in a positive light, to hope for, wish for, pray for uh, the best in them, there is something that happens not just within my heart, but they are going to feel that and they are going to hopefully respond in a positive way. So let's think about how this plays out in relationship. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, interesting chapter. Verse 1 kind of starts off the chapter. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. So the example is found in Christ. We drop down a few verses, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And then it goes on and gives what I believe are really two examples of what that means. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And all the husbands go, yeah, I knew that was in there someplace. Uh, But then it also says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And so when you look at those two examples, wives submitting, husbands loving as Christ loved the church, it's actually asking more of the husband. We are to give love sacrificially. And I think that's a huge part of what it means to be the head of the home, is that we are modeling, we are demonstrating to the best of our ability, this is going to be a home based on love. Uh, And our children will see that, and our children will benefit from that because they learn They learn what it is to be in relationship from watching us. You know, there are are so many passages in Scripture, many, many passages, Old Testament and New, that talk about this whole thing of love and how important this is. There are commands. John, just simply love one another. I mean, it couldn't be more plain uh, than that. You know, we are reminded we will show the world that we are His by the love that we show. Um, But it's tough, isn't it? Like I said as I began, I'm not standing here before you professing to be perfect at this. I am a work in progress, as we all are. Um, One person said, being human is tricky. Pretty good description. We've got a lot to balance and a lot to, lot to try to assimilate into our lives. But I really don't believe that God would have included so many passages about love and the importance of love and the commands to love if it were not possible. And by his help and by his grace and by his strength, I do believe that we can all, even a hard-headed country boy like me, 
can make progress in being more loving. So let's come back full circle. Your ability to stay in love has as much to do with the condition of your heart as it does with the behavior of your partner. A few years ago, I heard Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, who was the president, past president of Asbury College, give an illustration. He said that there was a, a preacher who held a cup of water out in his arm, and he had another person come up and shake his arm. And so obviously when he shook his arm, the water went all over the place. And he asked the, the young person, said, okay, so why did water come out of the cup? And he said, well, because I shook your arm. No. Why did water come out of the cup? Because water was what was in the cup. We get bumped in life. In so many ways. The pet peeves, the careless word, uh, so many things that can happen in lives, in marriages, in families, in the workplace, wherever we go, we get bumped. And every time we get bumped, something is going to come out. My question to you, when you get bumped, what spills out? We pray together. Father, we do thank you for an opportunity to come together and to look into your word and to be reminded of the very high calling that you have placed upon our lives, a calling that is beyond our abilities to meet in and of ourselves. Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your strength. We ask for your love, first of all, to be made manifest in our lives so that we might love others through your strength and your presence. Be with these who are here today. Bless their homes, bless their lives, bless their relationships. Uh, keep us close and keep us safe. And by the lives that we live, we will bring praise and glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thank you for being here today. I know this is a, kind of a three-day weekend and uh, people are probably out and doing things, but you're here and I am glad for that and glad to have the opportunity to be with you. So take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Dismissed. You hear